was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, quick, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, uh, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing. Was this really happening? He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It was open for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked through the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the door, the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to the answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter, is that the door? You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, my five-year-old August is at that stage in childhood where she's beginning to surprise us. And not like the, I have a surprise in my huggies kind of surprise, right? Like the good surprises. Every now and then, she'll actually do what we ask, and sometimes she'll even do things without being asked. This is a big deal in our house because she's a very strong-willed little girl who is lovely in all ways possible. Right, dear? Love you. But for years, we've had this nightlight in her room that turns green at the, in the morning at 6.30. Maybe you've heard of these, the hatch. And it's supposed to be when it turns green, that's when it lets her know she can leave her room. That thing has been a little more than just like room decor because it hasn't actually functioned properly. It works, but if for some reason the message gets lost in translation, it doesn't matter if it's green or red or just dark. August is leaving her room when she wakes up. But now, all of a sudden, she is abiding by the light. She will wait until it turns green before leaving her room. And it is this wonderful surprise. Uh, also, for most of her life, she doesn't do anything quietly. She'll, she'll shoot out that room like a cannon. And we'll want her to you know, be a little quieter so that she doesn't wake up her little brother. 
which never happens because she loves him and always wants to be with him. And so she believes the second she's up, he should be up. And they get up and they play together. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. When, that, when she comes out of that room and it's just, but the other day she's surprised us. She came out of her room real quietly and just came to our side of the bed and said, hey, I'm awake. And we're like, okay, cool, go back to sleep. <laughs> but she was quiet about it. And then, you know, for the past few months since she's started kindergarten, we're trying to get her, you know, get dressed on your own. You know, take some, you know, of your ownership, responsibility. You, you can do it. But for the longest time, it's no, daddy, I need you or mommy to help me get dressed. But the other day, she surprised us. And she hit the trifecta. Uh, it, it, at 6.30, August came out of her room quietly, fully dressed with her hair brushed, ready for school. And I was just so, it was one of those sobering moments where you realize your, your, your child's getting a little bit older. And I looked at her and I said, oh my word, oh my word, darling. You're such a big girl. You stayed in your room till the light turned green. You, you've been so quiet so your brother could sleep. You, you even got dressed on your own. And with all the sass of a five-year-old, she looks at me and says, yeah, you, you told me to. <laughs> and through tears of laughter, I said, I did, but I never thought it would actually happen. <laughs> This is a new day in our lives and in our world. What in your life have you hoped for? Have you worked for? Have you wished for? But you never actually thought you'd see. What, what are the things in your own life that you've longed for, but you never actually knew if they would happen? I have this sneaking suspicion that that is the mindset that many of us take with us to prayer. We take with us this, uh, this idea of wondering, of acknowledging limits. Of, I, I wonder which of us ha have actually expected our prayers to be answered. And even more, um, did you expect for them to be answered when you prayed them? Many of us, prayer is a thing that we do at the end of the day that ends with Amen. It's a chance for us to just say what we want to say, say amen, and then go to sleep. For others, uh, for prayer is a, a deep meditative state. Spending time with the Lord quietly, trying to listen to what God is saying back. But how many of us look at our lives the day after we pray, or the weeks after we pray, or the months after we pray, or the years after we pray, and see the ways that our prayers have been answered? And how many of us really believe that that's even possible? Last week, today, next week, we're looking at our prayer lives. We're looking at it through the lenses, uh, the lens of others who have taught us how to pray. Last week, we, we considered Jesus's prayer, how Jesus taught us how to pray the Lord's prayer. And we celebrate how sometimes the prayers we know by heart can bring us closer to God than anything we can come up with on our own. And how comforting that is when we don't have the words ourselves. Next week, we'll look back at Abraham, who wandered, not exactly knowing where he was going. And how Thomas Merton offers us a similar prayer about being faithful in a direction, not knowing where it will end. But today, I would like for us to consider this moment in Acts, where Rhoda recognizes an answered prayer. But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about an often overlooked figure in our faith. I want to tell you a little bit about Susanna Wesley. If you spend much time hearing me preach or Michael preach or in the Methodist church, you've definitely heard us talk about John Wesley. 
He was the, the founder of the Methodist movement. You don't have to be Methodist to know about his story, his power of faith. You could have watched movies where he was featured in there. But what's less known is that everything he knew about his faith, he learned from his mama. She was a fierce and incredible woman. Uh, she'd have to be to bear 19 children. She herself was one of 25 siblings, and she was the daughter and a wife of pastors, which explains a little bit about how John and Charles ended up in the line of work they did. However, Susanna had to do a large portion of the child rearing on her own. Her husband was often away for work. They were separated for over a year because of an argument, and he even spent two years in prison because of getting sideways on his finances. Of her 19 children, nine died in infancy, which means for a while she had more than eight kids at home, often without any help from a spouse. Yet still, she made sure to spend time in discussion with every kid on their own. She'd space it out night after night, sometimes just one kid a night, sometimes just two kids a night, but making sure she spent quality time with every single one of her children Susanna also had a faith that rivaled that of any religious leader of any movement in history. One biographer once wrote about her, long before women were ordained, Susanna would sometimes gather friends around the kitchen table and lead prayers when her preacher husband was away. She kept the parish going in his absence. And one time whenever John, her son was still young and he was off in seminary learning how to become a pastor, he was writing a letter to his mother about all the things that he learned about God. And Susanna wrote him a letter back that kind of tore down the theology he was building. That gave him a, you don't know what you don't know kind of feeling. Any of our mothers ever done that to us? She wrote this, she said, you are somewhat mistaken in your notion of faith. I mean, you're wrong, son. All faith is an ascent, but all ascent is not faith. The true measure of faith is the authority of the revealer. Divine faith is an ascent to whatever God has revealed to us because he revealed it. Essentially, she was saying that faith has to be more than just saying yes to some lines in a creed. Or more than just saying yes to something you read in the Bible. Susanna insisted, because the Bible told her so, that faith is an experience. It is not just about the things that you believe. It's not just about agreement. It's trust. It's expectation. Her faith was built less on assent and more on assurance. On the assurance that God was with her and that his will was greater than she could understand. And so she had to trust in it even when it didn't make sense. Even when things were hard. Even whenever she was at home by herself trying to raise all these children. And her kids, they knew her faith by experience too. They saw it, especially when they saw her pray. One of the most famous stories about Susanna, it's hysterical, is that throughout the time she was raising the children, her daily outfit included this large apron on the front. And when life got too loud or too crowded or too anxious, whenever things were overwhelming in her house, I'm sure none of us can relate to that, right? Things have never been overwhelming in your house. You know what she would do? She would wander over into the corner and she would throw her apron over her head and pray. How much can you relate to that, right? 
when just the whole world is chaos in your house and your kitchen and things are, are going nuts, you should throw and she would pray. And the, the children knew in the house, do not disturb mama. It's like a red light on in August's room. It's like, don't come out. Don't bother her. We still have one of Susanna's prayers is preserved in her writings and is included in the book of worship. And I'm gonna share it with you now and pray it at the end. Hear this prayer from Susanna Wesley. You, O Lord, have called us to watch and pray. Therefore, whatever may be the sin against which we pray, make us careful to watch against it. And so have reason to expect that our prayers will be answered. In order to perform this duty, grant us grace to preserve a sober, equal temper and sincerity to pray for your assistance. And so have reason to expect that our prayers will be answered. Susanna was a woman of incredible faith, and I can't help but think she was taking a page right out of Rhoda's playbook. Rhoda is another often overlooked figure in our faith, and it's probably because her feature in the Bible is limited to this brief exchange. If you've never heard of Rhoda, it's because she's only in this one little section. But in this one moment, she shows us just what true faith requires. She shows us what expectation looks like. This is the time in Acts when the persecution against the church is really heating up. This is whenever Christians are starting to feel the pressure. James, the brother of John, has just been martyred. And Herod saw how happy it made the people to have one of the main figures of this new religious uprising murdered. So he said, I'm going to double down and do it some more. And so he arrested the rock on which Jesus said he built the church. He arrested Peter and put him in prison. And he was supposed to be tried the next day. And we can assume this probably would not have been a very fair trial. The plan was that Peter would be executed too. And so the people who loved Peter and the people who were part of this new movement within this early church, they got together and they prayed. They prayed for Peter. They prayed for the church. They prayed for his release. They, they prayed that God's will would be done. And Peter was rescued by God and made his way to them. And when he got there, he knocked on the door and Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back and she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. She was so relieved that God had answered their prayers and delivered Peter from harm. So she told everybody, what we prayed for has come true. Peter is at the door. But those that were gathered there did not believe her. Maybe it was just too much to believe that God is actually going to answer this wild and crazy prayer. They said, you are out of your mind. She kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, it must be his angel as if he's already been executed. And so he's just come to visit us from the afterlife. Only Rhoda had the heart to believe not only that Peter was there, but that his delivery was an answer to their prayers. And so once again, I'm left asking, when did you expect for your prayers to be answered? When did you pray like Susanna or believe like Rhoda? I mean, prayer is a lot of things. I very much believe, as we discussed last week, that prayer moves us more than it moves God. 
It helps us draw nearer to the Lord and to better know his will. But if prayer was only about knowing God more, then why would we bother petitioning at all, asking for things? Why would we see examples of Jesus asking for things? He prayed, Lord, let this cup pass for me if it is in your will. Jesus said, God, I don't want this to happen. But if it is your will, may it be done. Petition is a faithful way to pray. Sometimes we feel guilty, like I only go to God or I need something. At least you're going to God. Amen. We don't have to feel guilty for asking God for help, for direction, for healing, for protection. These things and all things God welcomes for us to bring to him in prayer. Intercession on the behalf of others is not only welcome, but we have examples of it in Scripture. So, if we are bold enough to pray for those things, shouldn't we be equally bold to expect that they could happen, that they might actually come true? I mean, why even bother asking for something if we don't believe it could come to fruition? That doesn't mean that I believe everything we ask for will happen exactly the way we want. We have all experienced times in our lives where we have prayed something and it didn't come to pass the way that we had hoped. But that doesn't mean all things are not possible for God. It doesn't mean that there is a power greater than God's. We might not understand everything fully, but that doesn't mean we can't take everything to him in prayer. God can do all things, and we know that even when there is pain in a moment, even when there is suffering, that in the end, God will get what God wants. In the end, God wins. And God knows our prayers. You know, I asked, when have you seen your prayers answered? And for me, I have a very specific answer to that question that is very recent. I've seen prayers answered in my life in different ways, and I've sometimes not seen them answered the way that I prayed them. Sometimes I failed to recognize the way that God was moving, and other times it was so evident you couldn't miss it. And this is one of those times. I had some initial trepidation about this discernment process we've been doing as a church. I'll be honest. The work that we've been doing as a congregation for the past year was laid out for us last year in this process by the process team, and I had no idea how it would go. And my fears were not because of things I know about Dolphin Way, but because of the things I've heard at other places, at other churches that other people have shared. There has been no shortness of unkind words, of disingenuous efforts, Churches all over ours and other annual conferences as people have tried to sort out their future in relationship to this denomination. So I wondered, well, how's this going to go here? I'll be honest, I, I worried about it a little bit in a congregation that has a wide diversity of opinions about a lot of things. We have in this church Republicans and Democrats, college-educated, GEDs, public school, private school, long-time Methodists, and people whose only experience with the Methodist church is showing up here a couple months ago. And so I prayed about it. I wasn't the only one who prayed. The discernment team, the process team, our staff, your pastors, people throughout this congregation have been praying for 16 months about all of this. We prayed that, that we would see and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in all things. 
And I am glad to be able to testify today that I have seen the Lord and that the Lord has answered our prayers. I sought the Lord and he heard and he listened. At every turn, there has been evidence of God's presence because there have been the fruits of the Spirit overflowing throughout these months. At our discernment team meetings and the survey we did during Michael's class, during the sermon series we've done, uh, and most notably during these home meetings over the past seven weeks. I laughed about it. I put it in one of my reports. You know, I spent four nights, four weeknights at home with my family during the month of September because of these home meetings. And they were all worth it because God's presence was so evident, the outpouring of love and joy. I've been overwhelmed by the peace and the patience everyone has shown, even to me when I, when I messed up. Even whenever I might have overstepped or, 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 or not heard something right. People's kindness, people's gentleness, people's goodness, and even in our most passionate moments, people's self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And what does it mean when you see the fruits of the Spirit? It means God is there. It means that the Lord's will is being done. It means that the Holy Spirit is at work. We sought the Lord. He heard and he listened and he showed up and he's answering our prayers. But I also believe that God's work is not done. And neither is ours. The most important part of these things is still before us this month and next. And I no longer fear, I no longer worry about how we will interact with one another because I have seen the Lord at work. But I do have a new prayer. I have a new prayer that I hope you will join with me in praying. God has been with us in this process and now I pray that God will use us as we come out of it. I pray that Dauphin Way will be a beacon on a hill for all the world to see. I pray that the Lord will use this congregation to show what is possible, to show the whole world how people who don't agree on everything can still live in peace with one another, where we can celebrate the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. I hope you will join me in praying that God's will not only be done at Dauphin Way, but that God uses Dauphin Way to do God's will in the world. I hope you pray like Susanna and expecting God to answer this prayer. And I hope you look around and you believe and you see where God is answering it like Rhoda. I hope you will join me not only in praying for God's will to be done, not only will you join me in praying that we will be the speaking, but that expecting it will happen. Let us pray like Susanna. You, O oh Lord, have called us to watch and pray. Therefore, whatever may be the sin against which we pray, make us careful to watch against it. And so have reason to expect that our prayers will be answered. In order to perform this duty aright, grant us peace to persevere a sober, equal temper and in sincerity to pray for your assistance. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.